3, verses 1 through 4. It's available on your bulletin on page number 8. You're getting there, and before I read, would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would speak to us through it and through the sermon. Lord, help us to hear you. Give us um, what you would have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. The word of the Lord. So I did something very unusual, uh, at least for me, uh, last weekend. Uh, my son Jonathan and I went to see a movie in the theater at, at 9 a.m. Uh, on Saturday morning. Uh, both those were pretty unusual. I don't see many movies in the theater these days. Uh, Anton, we could put those right in if you want. Uh, and, and not only that, but the theater was sold out at 9 a.m. in the morning. Some of you know what movie we went to see. Uh, some of you probably don't. Uh, we, went, we went to see the new Avengers movie, uh, Endgame. Now, what would motivate us and all these other people to go out early on a Saturday morning to see a three-hour movie, solid three hours. Uh, it, it wasn't just that this was the, the long-awaited sequel uh, in the Avengers uh, franchise. It's that this was supposed to be the end of the story. Now, I've never really been uh, really into the Avengers uh, that much, but, but I like to see movies. And so I, I said to Jonathan, uh, you know, can't we just wait until it comes out on Netflix you know, and we watch it at home. Do, do we really need to go out at, you know, eight in the morning? Uh, his, his response was, was very clear. No, we must see it as soon as possible before people start sharing spoilers. He didn't want the end ruined for him. You know, the, the end is the most important part. Well, this is very relevant to the words that we just heard in Paul's letter to the, to the Colossians. Because in these verses, Paul says these upside-down things about Christians. He says, you have been raised with Christ. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He's saying that the Christian life is the ultimate spoiler. It starts at the end. It starts with being raised from the dead. For, for Christians, resurrection life is not just something that we look forward to. It's something that we can experience now in Christ. The, the death and resurrection of Jesus is not just some strange thing that happened to, to, to one solitary man. But in him, the Bible tells us, God is doing something to make our whole world new including us. As N.T. Wright says, the message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ 
and that you're now invited to belong to it. God shows us what he is doing for the world in Jesus, and then he invites us to be united to him by faith. Over the next four weeks, we're going to consider what it means for us to live out of this resurrection reality. This is really a continuation of Easter, is what we're doing here. Colossians 3 is this really key passage for understanding this. So we're going to, we're going to dig down into it and, and try and discover uh, what does it mean to practice resurrection ourselves. And so today we're just looking at these first four verses and three things that they teach us about the Christian life. They teach us about the start of the Christian life, the struggle of the Christian life, and the satisfaction of the Christian life. The start of the Christian life, the struggle of the Christian life, and the satisfaction of the Christian life. Let's look at each one of these. First, the start of the Christian life. One of the greatest reasons that I think we have for believing in the truth of the resurrection as a flesh and blood event that happened in history is the way that it transformed the experience of the first disciples. In a matter of days, they went from a small, discouraged, fearful group mourning the death of their failed Messiah to become one of the most influential movements the world has ever seen. Only the resurrection has the power to explain what happened to them and why they began to go out to all the world proclaiming the message that they called the gospel, the good news. They went out with such boldness and power because they themselves had been changed by the message that they preached. The Christian life starts with the experience of Christ's death and resurrection. Over and over again, Paul and and the other New Testament writers look back to the death and resurrection of Jesus as a reality for those who believe in him, who are united to him by faith. Paul can speak about this in the most personal way. In Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In Ephesians 2, our assurance of pardon today uh, that we heard earlier in the service, he says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Do you notice how Paul equates dying and rising with Jesus with salvation by grace? Usually, People think about the goal of religion as uh, self-improvement, to to grow spiritually, to become something that we're not. And religion is going to help us to do that. But by proclaiming union with Christ as the start of the Christian life, the, the Bible calls believers to become who they already are in Christ. The foundation of the Christian life is not what we do for God, but what God has done for us. It's not about an identity or or a status that we achieve, but an identity and status that we receive in Christ. This is why Paul can proclaim to the Colossians, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. The Christian life starts at the end with confidence that God's acceptance of you does not depend on your achievements on exams this week or what your life looks like over the next 5, 10, or 20 years. 
These things are not your life. Your life is Christ. And in Christ, God has revealed that he loves you more than you could ever imagine, even before you've changed. When you can say, Christ is my life, it gives you a framework for approaching your whole life in a different way. You can endure even the most difficult circumstances with hope. You may suffer, but you will not despair. You know that your life is hidden with Christ in God. So, the resurrection is the start of the Christian life, but this doesn't mean that the the Christian life is without struggle. This is why Paul urges the Colossians to seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Set your minds on things that are above, not, not on things that are on earth. Our natural tendency is to look at the things that are right in front of us. But Paul tells us that we grow in the Christian life in the same way that we start, by looking to Christ and remaining united to him. The the contrast here between things that are above versus things that are on earth doesn't mean that things on earth are inherently bad. Over and over again, the Bible stresses God's commitment to our embodied reality. He, He created it. He said it was good. Jesus came in the flesh. He was raised bodily. We're meant to rejoice in God's good creation, but we're not meant to worship it. I like how N.T. Wright defines setting your mind on things that are on earth. He says that this is behavior which carries on as though earthly appetites were all that mattered. In other words, we're talking here about idols, good things on earth, that we make into ultimate things. God substitutes. In a famous commencement speech, the writer David Foster Wallace, who who was not at all a Christian, said that everyone worships something. He said, here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power And you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart. And you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. It's that they're unconscious. They are default settings. How do you discover your, your default worship setting that he says we all have? Well, consider what you build your life around. How do you spend your free time? What fills your daydreams? When you picture success or real freedom, what comes to your mind? When Paul says, set your minds on things that are above, 
He's saying, don't be driven by your unconscious desires, shaped by your society or your upbringing. Set your mind on Christ. Build your life around the one who knows your weakness, your failure, your sin, and gave his life for you. The struggle of the Christian life is to bring the, the whole of our lives into line with our true identity in Christ. This will never happen completely until Christ returns and we are revealed with him in glory. For now, Paul says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. There will always be something hidden and waiting to be revealed. This means that your life as a Christian may not look like what you expected when you first came to Christ. You may deal with suffering or sin in ways that you never thought possible. Your life may look very messy and broken. You may look like a a failure in the eyes of the world. Or everything may look uh, right on the outside, but on the inside you deal with anxieties and fears known only to you. But by God's grace... Knowing that our life is hidden with Christ and God, we we can admit our weakness. We can rest in Christ's righteousness rather than our own. We can believe the promises of the gospel, and we can take up our crosses daily and follow Christ in faith that his resurrection power is sufficient. This is how we grow in the Christian life, by remaining united to Jesus dying and rising every day, seeking the things that are above, knowing that our ultimate life is hidden with him in God. So we talked about the start of the Christian life, the the struggle of the Christian life. Finally, let's talk about the satisfaction of the Christian life. Is this a life that really satisfies? John Newton, the, the writer of Amazing Grace, was the captain of slave ships in 18th century England. Uh, who gave his life to Christ, and after this, committed himself to ending the African slave trade. He once said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. Yet I can truly say, I am not what I once was. By the grace of God, I am what I am. This is the attitude of a Christian who's begun to enter into the satisfaction of the Christian life. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, change is possible as we look to Christ and follow his ways. We're going to talk more about how this happens as we study the rest of Colossians 3, but what I want you to see today is that the foundation is Christ himself and in remaining, remaining united to him at the beginning, the middle, and the end of our lives. Jesus doesn't just save us and then leave us on our own for the rest of our journey. He's with us from beginning to end. Consider the experience of of Dorothy Day. Dorothy Day was an atheist and a a bohemian in 1920s New York until she experienced a radical conversion to Christianity and became a a leader of the Catholic worker movement, a, a movement serving the poor in New York and around the world. Uh, through these hospitality houses where the poor and those serving them lived together in community. Uh, Dorothy Day had high ideals from a very young age. She was a communist. She took part in protests and marches. She went to jail. But she found that these things didn't satisfy. 
Later, when she looked back, she saw that there was so much of her own agenda in her service. Uh, She wrote, I do not know how sincere I was in my love of the poor and my desire to serve them. I wanted to go on picket lines, to go to jail, to write, to influence others, and so make my mark in the world. How much ambition and how much self-seeking there was in all of this. After she became a Christian, she was just as much committed to the poor, even more so. She was willing not just to serve them, but to live with them. But something changed. Near the end of her life, uh, she explained to someone how she once attempted to write a memoir. And she said, I try to think back. I try to remember this life that the Lord gave me. The other day I wrote down the words, a life remembered, and I was going to try to make a summary for myself, write what mattered most, but I couldn't do it. I just sat there and thought of our Lord and his visit to us all those centuries ago, and I said to myself that my great luck was to have had him on my mind for so long in my life. I love that. My great luck was just to have had him on my mind for so long in my life. Now, what changed for Dorothy Day before and after her conversion? In some ways, she did the same things in both seasons of her life. She fought for justice. She served the poor. But as a Christian, she had a new attitude. Serving the poor wasn't about her, but about Christ. Her life was a response of gratitude for what he had done for her. And she was grateful just to have had him on her mind. The anxiety and and the self-centeredness of her earlier service was removed. Friends, this is the, the satisfaction of the Christian life. It's about knowing Christ, getting closer to him, and then becoming more and more the people that he means us to be. In the words of uh, Rachel Held Evans, the popular Christian writer who, who died very sadly last week, She once wrote, this is what God's kingdom is like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table, not because they are rich or worthy or good, but because they are hungry, because they said yes. The invitation for you today, wherever you find yourself in faith, is to say yes to God. Some of you have not yet started the Christian life. You may may have spent your whole life in the church. Or you may just be here exploring Christianity. But you know that Christ is not your life. Something else is is more beautiful or, or more believable than him. To you, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. And they with me. He invites you to trust him today. Others of us here today are are in the struggle of the Christian life. You may be discouraged or wrestling with temptation or just so aware of your own failure. If that's you today, know that Jesus invites you to come to him without fear of rejection. Look to Christ and know that the same grace that was for you at the beginning of your life with him is for you today. 
In a moment, we're going to sing a song that that begins with these words. Uh, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. As you come to this table today, know that his plea is for you. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you today with an open admission of our weakness, our fears, our failures. Thank you that you do not wait for us to clean ourselves up before you come to us. In the person and the work of Jesus, you have graciously become like us. You've experienced our pain and our shame. You know our doubts. You know our attraction to the glittering images of this world that we are tempted to trust more than you. Uh, By your grace, would you give us faith to believe the gospel, to die and rise with Jesus even today, and to go out from this place in your resurrection power. To give as you give, to love as you love, and to serve as you serve. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.